Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And today we have with us Michelle Dunn Loveless. And Michelle is a recovering rebel with an outlaw spirit. She is your typical Enneagram 8 who has lived life in the fast lane. But since the birth of her darling two daughters, she has been working on cultivating growth towards her inner two. And many of you know that the eight becomes the healthiest version of themselves when they become more like a two on the Enneagram. So Michelle's been working on that since her daughters came into the world. And this passion to leave an imprint on the world led Michelle into teaching where she taught in the public school system for over 10 years. She is a lifelong learner and educator. She earned her master's in education and also a 200-hour yoga certification. And more recently, she even finished her 500-hour yoga certification, specializing in kundalini yoga. She teaches paddleboard yoga with Outshine Adventures, yin plus meditation, and kundalini yoga at Yoga Landing. And not only does Michelle teach, she and her wife own Outshine Adventures, which is a tour and travel company to inspire others to live life adventurously. Full-time, Michelle works as an educator at a local nonprofit that removes barriers to birth control by providing education, outreach, and access to free birth control, proving to the world she can do it all. So we are extremely fortunate to have Michelle with us, and you're going to love what she has to say. Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, Michelle. It's so good to have you. Um, And I'm going to start out asking you a question about what it means to be an Enneagram 8. And one of the things you know well about being an Enneagram 8 is that they often struggle with vulnerability. So what are some emotions that you wish you had expressed to others in the past, but have been afraid to do so now? Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I like this, I like this question a lot because it's something as an eight that I am constantly working on and mm-hmm. things that I notice, um, and through therapy, <laughs> I am, um, able to kind of break down these, these walls and, and welcome vulnerability. But, um, I think the hardest for me has been with my family, right? So like mm-hmm. my my parents, especially, um, trying to break the walls of vulnerability towards them because I always had to be strong um, for my mom and then my dad who wasn't really around. So these emotions of like, you know, being hurt because I, I, had, I had to grow up so quickly um, and be, I was, I was, I, I like to say I was the ears and the voice of my mother because I was the mm-hmm. oldest and my mother was deaf. And so wow. by the age of five, I was calling the heating and cooling people and making appointments for my mom. And mm-hmm. I was interpreting at parent teacher conferences, you know? And so, mm-hmm. um, I think that, that hurt you know, this, the sadness of my childhood almost being stripped away. Um, but also this, like, 
this sadness of being neglected or abandoned <laughs> in mm-hmm. a sense because you know this the the child that was growing inside of me was kind of ab- abandoned because I had to be an adult um, and neglected and and then you know and then when you think about a parent who is deaf I mean they're n- not hurtfully abandoning abandoning you or neglecting sure. you but but because of their deafness, that's just kind of what happens. Um, and, you know, I think being able to tell my mom that she wasn't the greatest of moms, like she wasn't there emotionally, she wasn't there supportively, like she was there, she was a stay at home mom, mm-hmm. but she wasn't there emotionally. Um, and I often struggle with like what Enneagram was my mom, you know, and I, I mm. think she was an eight <laughs> or she is, oh, I mean, wow. she's still alive. Yeah. Um, and I think she, I think she is an eight. Um, and so when you are an eight and your parent is an eight, like that's, wow. I think that's really, really, um, a challenging situation. Um, and now, mm. you know, my mom has dementia on top of her deafness now. And wow. so it's like, it's like, you know, I'll never be able to tell her that, you know, how I feel. I'll, I'll never be able to get to that point for her to even understand where I'm coming from, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I did, however, um, two years ago, um, send a note to my father and tell him everything. Like, mm-hmm. I just let it all out. And we have not spoken since. So, wow. Um, so, you- yeah, like... <laughs> you were vulnerable and then there there wasn't any empathy or response and that must have been really painful and then with your mom it sounds like you had to be so responsible and so strong um at an early age that that being weak um you know and and being cared for and being nurtured you know like that that wasn't an option and that wasn't afforded to you. And I'm, I'm so sorry. And, and all, your story reminds us that the Enneagram uh, and our personality is very formed by early childhood experiences. And also sometimes we can end up the same number as a parent um, because that's, you know, a lot of the energy that we've had in the house yeah. So we model that. Right. I think I'm pretty yeah. sure I'm an Enneagram too. I'm pretty sure that my mom is, um, she hasn't taken the test yet and keeps telling, <laughs> telling me she's going to, um, she's too busy helping people to take the test, right. but, right. um, but thank you for, you know, Enneagram eights can be wonderful at transparency, but vulnerability is harder for them. And so that, that vulnerability about your story was very brave. And uh, I just, um, I appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Michelle, thank you for sharing that. You were telling the story and like it caught me. I started feeling really emotional and um, you know, I'm Enneagram one and I think we share quality that emotion is perhaps could be really tough to kind of welcome, especially an intense emotion or a painful emotion. And um, I think ones and eights kind of have it in common that a lot of emotions sometimes can translate into uh, feeling weak or showing up weak. 
Um, so my question to you is, how do you feel um, and how do you deal with being emotional? And um, if you, you know, I feel like we are starting hot and heavy with you right out of the gate, like going down <laughs> nitty gritty. If you yeah. feel like sharing uh, with our listeners and us last time that you felt really emotional and maybe what was that about? <laughs> well, I have a teenager. So, oh, um, oh, yeah, say no more, I, say no more right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm, well, let me just start off with like, I, I'm a mother of two. I have a soon to be 25 year old and then I have a 17 year old and they are very two, two totally different individuals from the very opposite spectrum. Um, one is a lot like me, but she's not an eight. I think she just took the test in school and I think she came out a six, um, which is mm. what I thought I was for a little bit until I took Christy's yoga class, um, <laughs> her, her workshop, her Enneagram workshop. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I think being a mom to a teenager, I'm on an emotional roller coaster all of the time. And so I struggle, I struggle with control as yeah. a parent, right? But I struggle, I struggle with these crazy, passionate and intense emotions um, all of the time. Yeah. And the way that I deal with them is not very tactful. And I get told that all the time, like, Michelle, you are just not tactful. Like, because when I feel it, my passion just comes right through. And like, I, I blow my top, you know, that my passion, my intensity just kind of blows up. But because I'm so Vata, like I get over it very quickly, too, you know, so, so it's like, you know, I'm like, ah! and then I, and then I'm like, okay, let's just talk about it, you know, but, um, I think, you know, I really get scared a lot of the times because I'm so emotional and it's often this intense emotion that I get scared about how it's going to come out. And so I, I hold it in. And then I, it festers and then that's not really, really good. So I think my most recent was Monday. Um, you know, there's like just been a really hectic situation with my teenager that I'm not going into detail about, <laughs> but I'm, I'm spewing like all of my guts and emotions to my wife. And I'm like, I feel this right now. And, you know, and I, she's getting the brunt of all of this. And she's like, have you told your daughter how you feel? <laughs> and I was like, no, I, you know, and I, and I'm like, I call her, I call her and, you know, and I'm like, we have to, you know, we have to have this talk. And, you know, with, with my wife, it's more of like this calm, like I can have this discussion, but with my kid, oh, I'm like, I, I, I get into this emotional state and like, I, I, I get so intense that it's just over, it is overpowering. Yeah. Um, and what I realize is like, it's harder for me to be vulnerable with my, my kids. And I don't know why. And what I've realized is that's where I'm like my mother, this, uh... like, I shut this, like this wall. I'm like, I have to be strong. I have to show my kids that I like can do this. And like this emotional wall of like trying to connect with them is not, is sometimes not there. Um, and my mom, you know, my mom did that. 
you know, I, rem- I just remember like this time when I was, I was little and I, <laughs> I was 12 and I stole a car. I was a really bad kid. Yo, bad. <laughs> I stole a car and I crashed it. And it was, it was my grandmother's car. And my mother, when my mother found out about it, like she ran to the bathroom to cry and to like, like she was, she was like heaving, you know, because she didn't want me to see, but I could hear her. I could hear what she was doing. Like she was like heaving. And so I'm like, I'm so much like, like I find this connection of like how I am with my own kids. And my mother was the same way. Um, so there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the one and- in me hears and receives an aid in you. I, I'm telling you, I'll you know, hearing you talk about parenting a 13 year old, which I have a 15 year old as a Friday, and for me, the intensity comes from fear. Like I feel so scared. Like I don't know, something's going to happen to you or what were you thinking? Or I can't believe it. Or the fact that even my buttons are pushed so intensely, it scares me so much that that's when like the loudness comes out and just, just all of that, like you said, it just blows over the top. So, and just like you for a long time, I thought I was a six and until I took Christie's workshop and turns out I'm a one. So it's just so much that you say, I'm like, me too, me too, me too. So thank you for sharing it. It's, it's not easy to share, not pretty moments, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I, I love that because we can, you know, we can think about the, the, a lot of times behind fear, we, you know, this fear of, of, um, for me, you know, the lack of control, right? Like I can't control the outcome of my daughter's future. And yeah. so I'm constantly reaching and grabbing and like mm-hmm. trying to help. And like, that's not, te- I'm not teaching her anything by doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm yeah. constantly out of fear of like worrying for her future. What's her future going to be like? Is she going to be able to support herself? Is she going to And, and I think because I want so much control that I'm actually hindering her growth, you know? And, and these are, and then I say this often, like I have no shame. Like I will <laughs> gratefully admit like my, my, my fear and my worry. Um, yeah. But yeah, thank you for, for bringing that up, Kat. Sure, thank you for sharing. That's, that's yeah. very big and brave of you. Thank you. And that's the, you know, the control is a big thing for the eight and the one learning to let go of control. And then you also brought up that what we call in therapy, I'm a therapist, multi-generational transmission that, that down through the line, you know, your mom's pattern was not to talk to you about emotional things. And now you're continuing that with your daughter. And so the Enneagram can teach us to say, Hey, wait, I, I don't want to continue that pattern, right? Of I'm going to be, and that's what I heard you just express is that you're learning to open up, even though it's hard and you keep, and we keep learning these things again and again, like this is lifetime work, you know, it's, it's, um, we, we never, we never get there. We move towards wholeness. Um, we move towards completeness, but it's a journey, um, uh, continuing to grow. But I was thinking about the word intensity is often used for the Enneagram eight and you, um, use that just a, 
moment ago in our conversation. And so in order for the Enneagram eight to, to heal, they need to become a little bit more like a two on the Enneagram, right? They need to soften their heart. They need to open up in the heart space. Um, they need to embrace their inner teddy bear. And I've always been aware all of the eights that I've ever known, like sometimes the Enneagram eight is called the bear, but there is this big teddy bear inside of them. And when they move from the intensity to the softness and the teddy bear, oh, that's so yummy for an Enneagram eight. So tell me about that for you. What's it like to move from intensity to softening? I think that it, what you just said there is like, what I have been experiencing growing into, I think my late thirties and forties, like really seeing myself embrace this inner two, right? Like, mm. and I think I, I, what I love about this question is that is like, I, I connect to the nine, which, which is, is the bear. Like when we think about, when we think about the, and yeah. eight with the wing of nine is like, that is, that is this, this bear. And, it, you know, you think of a bear on both sides, it can be a, you know, a big grizzly bear, or it can be a squishy teddy bear. And yeah, so I think, I think um, most number, you know, number one is becoming a mother. Like when I became a mother, that's when I was able to like grow into this softer person instead of this very sharp edged um, mm. tense person. And then once I, once I became a mother, my, and my oldest daughter, just really, I, I, I call her like my guardian angel. I've always called her that because I was very young. I was 19 when I had her. And so, you know, in a very, in a very toxic relationship, she was the parts that helped me soften. And mm. as I grew and as we grew together, I was able to take that soft softening part of me to be, you know, when I grew, I, I became a teacher and <laughs> I was the teacher in the public school system for 10 years. And if that doesn't, I mean, it can soften you, but it can also harden you. I mean, I sure you know, double-edged sword here, but I think, um, I think for me, this, this, um, practice of like caring for others, like that innately, like I grew up having to care for my mother, but it wasn't in this soft way. It was, it was like a survival way, you know, it was a survival of like, if my mom can't hear, I have to communicate for her. So this was like a survival mechanism where like this softening of being a mother really, um, I think just naturally it, it softens your character. It softens your intensity of like, I have to be, um, I have to be caring and emotionally supportive to this little person. And I didn't do it perfectly, nor do I ever do it perfectly because mm. I'm, I'm human. But, um, you know, with each child, like my oldest was eight when I had my second one. So I grew up eight years. And so it's almost like my second child, she got a completely different mother. She got this mother who was, you know, healing she got this mother who had, who already had a, a bachelor's, you know, a bachelor's degree where my, my child, my first child got somebody, you know, who just graduated mm -hmm. from high school and was like navigating a life of like, just being in survival mode, you know, getting mm -hmm. out of a domestic violence situation. And like, 
just living in, in survival mode. So I, it's almost like I have these two children and they are, they are a reflection of, of me on two of the, you know, the yin and yang spectrum of life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that in itself is, is what has softened, has softened me and has helped, um, lower the intensity of, of my eightness. <laughs> Thank God for children. They, they yeah. do soften all of us, whether we're an Enneagram uh, eight or another number, they really do soften us. Our pets do too. I'm aware yeah. that, that I softened a little bit when, um, especially with some of that control and perfectionism when I got pets, but, but children soften us in, in a multitude of ways. Thank you so much, Michelle. That was beautiful. Well, Michelle, I'll tell you that I love a boldness of an eight and I love the intensity (laughs) of an eight and especially in a woman. And I don't want to come off as sexist, but I feel that for a woman to be an eight, it is gift to the universe because Mm -hmm. you kind of show everybody how, how we can be done. But, you know, I think that the paradox of that is it oftentimes is misconstrued as be being too aggressive or being too controlling and i was wondering if you've ever encountered that especially being a woman and um how how have you dealt with that oh i i love this question because i you know i remember um Christy telling me this at the workshop was like mm-hmm. you know our society our society tells us like women women don't, shouldn't yeah. be an eight, right? Yeah. Like they just uh-huh. shouldn't naturally. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm not an eight. I'm not, you know, you're, you're just thinking. And then I don't know what it was. I sat truly in that workshop, like, oh my gosh, oh my, the, I am truly an eight. And it now, as I reflect back on my entire life, I have always been told my whole life that I am just too much. I am too aggressive. I am too masculine. I am, I'm all of these more masculine qualities. Mm. And I've even been told by women who have later become my friends that I didn't like you when I first met you, you know, I mean, there's these, (laughs) these like qualities in women, you know, that it, it just is too much. Like I've been told you're, you're, you come off as too cocky. You come off as too aggressive. You come off as too confident and nobody likes any of those things. Right. Like, and then, you know, it's you're, crazy. and then you think, Why you know, right. It's like, it sounds like it's your problem. Yeah. It's my, it's not- my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, I think, I think that, uh, you know, and even, even in, partnerships when I was dating men I mean men told me you know I I I don't really like your masculine side like you are you're vulgar you're too intense you know even on that side so it's like I I couldn't win and so I think it's been very difficult to navigate um in the teaching profession especially in the south like it's been you know it's been tough like I almost did not get a job because they said I was too, I was too cocky. Like that was literally what they said, because I said I could, you know, teach a child how to move from a second grade level to a fourth grade level. 
you know, and I could do that in a six month period. Like I, but you know, in an interview, you're, that's what you're doing is you're bragging on yourself. But I was, I came off as too cocky. And so I think, (laughs) I think, um, I, I think this, this, you know, we all wear masks, right? We all Mm -hmm. wear masks. Like I had Mm -hmm. even my, even my little sister, she's like, Michelle, you are so confident. And I'm like, but I'm not like, I am not. She's like, well, nobody would know it. Like, no, you just, you step into a room with confidence. And I think because of that, which is great, it's great for me, but on the inside, like, I don't feel that way at all. Like if you Mm -hmm. really knew me, you would see, like, I'm crying on the inside, you know, like, yeah, I don't believe that I, you know, stand out in a room. I don't believe that I have this, this power that people say I might have, you know? Mm. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny. It's funny. Well, I'll tell you, you do have this power. You do stand out just from this interaction. It's magnetic. Yeah, it is um, just so special. And I you you were you were talking and I've I don't know if you've ever watched the movie Alice in Wonderland, the one with Johnny Depp and she Alice um, used this word muchness, so much muchness that one person again and you have the muchness, Michelle. And I I love it. Yeah. Like I, I've always your muchness is too much for others. It's their problem. Do not yeah. lose your muchness. It's it's a gift. It's contagious. Hmm. Thank mm. you, Kat. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Yeah. And I I think that's a good reminder to all listeners who have an Enneagram 8 in their life that the Enneagram 8 may come across as confident and assertive, but there's still some, some fear inside. There's fear of abandonment. There's, you know, that tell, tell us a little bit more about what words you would use that are on the inside beneath that confidence that or that muchness that the rest of us see, what would you say also is inside that we need to be sensitive to and aware of when we are, you know, in relationship with these Enneagram eights? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for me anyway, like I, I know that I've been a people pleaser. And so for me, it's like, I just want, I want you to like me. I I want you to like me because that way I can show up as my true self. And if I, if I don't think that you like me, it's going to be hard for me to be myself. I'm going to be putting on this mask, you know? So I think there's like this, this lack of, this lack of trust or this fear of, of, um, of other people and, you know, not being able to, I mean, I guess it goes back to being vulnerable, you know, and, and knowing that you can walk into a space and people can accept you and and love you as you are, no matter how you show up. Um, I don't know. I think that's just something that came, came to my mind. Um, but I, that could also be programming, you know, this, this programming Mm -hmm. of wanting people to like you, who cares if they like you or not? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I have a question for you, Michelle, going back and you're probably going to be done with this interview and going to be like, oh my gosh, those chicks, <laughs> like they just would not let go. But going back to vulnerability. So um, I think for eights, 
and the same, I have a lot of, feel like there's a lot of parallels between eights and ones. It's tough to ask for help. It's a vulnerable place, vulnerable space, because you had to be the doer. You had to be the fixture. You had to take care of things. It's tough to ask for help. So can you talk a little bit about it? And then specifically, if you want to share maybe the last time you've asked for help where it maybe didn't feel so easy to do that and just, just kind of share on that if, if you don't mind. Yeah, I, I think, you know, being a, you know, technically I, I was a single mom because um, of my situation. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when you're, when you're a single mom, you're doing it all anyway, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, well, it, in order for me to do it all, I, I, I'm going to have to do it all. And so it was a struggle very often at the beginning to ask for help. Um, yeah. I, I thought that I could do it all. You know, it's, it's taken me, like I said, I have an almost 25 year old. So it's like taken me to have one child out of the house and one almost, you know, she's in her senior year to realize, okay, now, now is it's okay to ask for help. You know, um, when you're the person who always <laughs> wants control of this situation, when you ask for help, you lose control. And, yeah. and so I think asking for help kind of puts you in this like guilt or shame right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that is something for me that I feel ashamed asking for help. If because I needed... somehow it makes you fail. Like you yeah. failed. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. 100%. And you know, whether it's a finance, financial help, whether it's emotional help, you know, even if I, even if I wanted to go ask help for, for therapy, um, yeah. I, I showing up, was hard, you know, just showing up for that help was yeah. hard. Um, but I think, you know, when, when we, when we talk about, um, asking for help, it really, for me, it has been finding this partnership. I've, I've now been in this amazing partnership for the last five years. And this is, it's such a beautiful partnership. And I think when you're in partnerships that don't support asking for help it's very difficult to yeah. to ask for help especially you know when you come from a family my my mother never she never asked for help it was just given to her she never worked a day you know she 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 worked very little and everything was handed to my mother my mother made me work all of the time so it was like this mm. roles reversed and you're like as a kid you're like you never asked for help yet. Everything was handed to you. I've always had to work. So I had to, think, you know, I'm thinking I have to do it all. And mm. so now being in this partnership, I can actually like ask my wife, can you, can you go pick up my kid? You know, and this is my wife never wanted to have kids. And now she's with a partner who has children. So that's hard, you know, that mm -hmm. whole situation when you first start dating and you're like, can you go pick up my kid in the back of your mind? She never wanted kids. Why would she want to pick up your kid? You know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that, that was a big, that was a big step asking, yeah. you know, your partner to pick up your kids. Um, and now, you know, it's, it's almost like I, I have no problem asking 
her to do that. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't feel bad about it. We sit and we, we have these conversations. And I think it just kind of comes back to like, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm like, I'm so grateful that I can ask you and you don't make me feel bad about it. Like we talk about it and um, we can walk through these tough decisions together and you ask for help and I ask for help. And so for me, for me, it's been having the right partner. And I didn't, I've never had that before, you know, and it took me, it took me till I was 40 to find that. And but I also think, I think that shows you're in a healthy space, Michelle. Mm-hmm. That you're, I yep. mean, partnership is very important and having the right partner is important. But for you mm-hmm. to be able to ask for help and feel all right doing that, that shows that you are in a healthy space as mm-hmm. an ape. Which, by the way, before mm-hmm. we move on, do you know your wife's number? She's a seven. She, I'm uh, married to a seven yeah. too. Yeah, oh, you are. You see, I'm here. <laughs> best friends I get it I say no more I get it (laughs) well and I've said this before and I'll say it again but I'm a two married to three and you're an eight married to seven and what I'm finding in my practice because I've had a lot of couples is that people often marry somebody who's either their wing or their number or their arrow of stress or health, Mm -hmm. because there's an understanding there, right? Because you're connected on the Enneagram. So uh, I'm not sure if anybody's done any research on that yet, but for for me, it's like turning up to be, whoa, this is happening again. Another person who's married to their wing or to their arrow of health or arrow of stress or their same number, just because you kind of get that person. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not connected in any way to the five or six on the Enneagram. And I don't have a lot of five or six friends in my life. I would like to find some more five and six friends, but I just don't have them. And it's because, well, they're harder for me to understand because there's just no lines connecting us on the Enneagram. And so that makes a lot of sense to me that we would be drawn to people who would be, you know, connected to us in some way on the Enneagram. So um, another question for you, and this is, again, we're pointing out the eight and one are very similar in many ways. And so when I think about eights in my life, they love a good argument, right? They're, they can be intense and um, they get kind of charged sometimes by arguments. And I'm kind of the opposite. I like to avoid arguments, but um, also ones like a good argument and, and eights and ones can both kind of have black and white thinking when they argue. So um, is that true for you? It may or may not be. And if it is true, uh, how are you learning to be more aware of the people who um, may not uh, feel that charge from arguing and kind of to soften in those scenarios? Yeah, I, and I, I said this earlier, like I really connect to a one. Um, and I, I think when I was younger, I would, I would seek out an argument, like seek it out. I will find it, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, because, you know, I, I want, I, I think I thrived on like just wanting to be right, you know, and, and I would argue, argue that. And so I see, I see that in my, my little one, my teenager, um, mm-hmm. she's, she's very, very much like that as well. But, um, I think as I've gotten older, I've actually shifted away from arguing. Like it makes me uncomfortable. Conflict mm. period has, has almost shifted to 
this place of uncomfortability where I, I don't know, and I don't know how to navigate it just yet. And so I think it's, I think it's, um, me stepping back and, and as Kat kind of mentioned, like I, I feel the healthiest I've ever felt in my entire life, emotionally and mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me, and I keep coming back to my age, but it was like 40 was like this age of enlightenment, you know, it really was. And so as I, as I hit that point of, of like shifting into my forties, I really have been the more of the observer, like looking more into my five personality or character Mm. traits really, um, from like sitting back and observing like what's going on and thinking about the situation. Even if I, even if I take that intense, passionate moment to like speak what I want to speak, I'll come back, reflect on it. I'm a huge reflector Mm -hmm. um, and then come back and talk in depth. And I'm, I'm one of those, I'm one of those people, like if something ticks me that moment, I have to say it. Or if I say it and it isn't too, too intense and it causes a lot of conflict, I need to go back, kind of reflect and reframe. And I'll come back Mm -hmm. and start that conversation up in a different mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, that just comes with being in a healthier space. Um, yeah. you know, and, and then apologizing, you know, I like apologize coming back and being like, Hey, I'm really sorry that I, I flew off the handle in that moment. Like it, that, that wasn't, that wasn't okay. Um, let's, let's try it again, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, sitting in, in, in harboring, I, I, I know that that is like an unhealthy thing for me. And so if I don't mm-hmm. say something in the moment, and I know that that's still true today, like if I don't say something in the moment, it festers and it becomes something worse. So mm-hmm. I'll, even if I have to spew for one second <laughs> and shut yeah. it down, come yeah. back and reflect, you know, it's, it's a lot better of a conversation later. Love it. Um, and you were just talking about going to your five and just for mm-hmm. listeners, just because a lot of people tuning in are just discovering the Enneagram and trying to understand it. So the eight goes to the five in a place of stress and the eight goes to a two uh, or becomes more like the healthy side of a two in a place of health. And yet, as we start to really delve deeper into the Enneagram, we can start to look at um, how we can become more like even the high side of the five. So even though that's the arrow of stress, that's what I was hearing you say is that you're integrating that observer in a really healthy way. Um, So that, that was lovely. Thank you so much, Mm -hmm. Michelle. Yeah. I get it, Michelle too. I, you know, being a one, I always say better out than in. That's one. Uh, Whether it's for you or not. And then otherwise it's resentment. And it is. Yeah. So happy. Well, here's my question for you. Um, When I think about an eight, the words that come to mind are passion, authenticity, leadership, fairness, advocacy. Mm -hmm. So do Mm -hmm. any of those resonate with you? And then if they do, what are you super passionate about in your life and what in your life, what area in your life would you like to leave the biggest impact? Mm. Mm. This one is so hard. Like I, because I am, I, 
I, I'm not even a Jane of all trades, but I'm just going to use that terminology yes. because I am passionate about so many things. Yes. And yeah, like, <laughs> and I think advocacy, like advocacy is, would be like my number one thing, right. you know? And, and I think being a teacher, like advocating for my students, advocating for my, my own, ch my children, because they're women, you know? Yeah. I, I, I work in nonprofit um, with an organization that provides free birth control to women. So it's like, I, even in my work, you know, right I'm, on. I'm, I'm doing advocacy work in, <laughs> in a non-advocacy platform, really, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I worked, you know, I worked in another nonprofit where I was the director of um, educator empowerment. So it's like, I'm really, I'm really passionate about um, advocacy and justice and fairness, you know, all of those things. Yeah. And I, I think leaving, leaving that mark and making sure in my 10 years of being in the community with youth that they, that they witnessed those components of, of, of my authentic self in that, you know, I will treat you fairly. I will advocate, I will go to bat for you. And, you know, I, you, I want you to trust me, but I also have to trust you. And I think that has probably been my most impactful work in this community um, is my kids, you know, my students. And mm. um, I, I still, I mean, I still talk to them. I talked to a couple of them the other day and they were like, Miss Dunn, you made me want to learn. You helped <laughs> me understand the Holocaust and, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, be uh. passionate about something that was very difficult, you know, and, and I hear that, I hear that a lot, like, you know, when they come back and they tell you, and that's just like, oh, it's like the best impact. <laughs> that is so, well, I'll tell you from one woman to another, thank you for doing the work that you do. And it is very important. Thank so thank you. you. I love that name for the previous nonprofit that you worked for. It's such an Enneagram eight title director of empowerment. I mean, that couldn't be like more perfect, like director, right? of course, an Enneagram eight is going to be a director, but of empowerment, that is, that's yeah. like, the, that's the Enneagram eight every day, director of empowerment. I love it. I love it. Um, Okay, so the childhood need, the needed message that the eight needs to hear is you will be protected or you will not be betrayed. Um, how, and you've already talked a little bit about your childhood, but how did you need to hear that as a child? And how do you need to hear that as an adult now? Mm. I, I think this one's kind of a loaded question. Like, mm -hmm. yep. I, I read, I just want to like, I just want to say when I, I found out that I really stood as an eight, I came back and I, I read, you know, the wisdom of the Enneagram, <laughs> like mm -hmm. I read this book and I saw, I, I reread eight after your class and I sobbed, I sobbed. Oh, wow. Because I connected with that childhood pattern section of the book so deeply mm. and it literally unfolded my life before my eyes right growing up so quickly because my mother was deaf I had I was so rebellious because I I, I didn't like having to grow up so quickly so I was often punished you know because I was rebelling I was you know going out sneaking out just running with older crowds like I was doing all of these things but really like 
defending myself in this, this attitude, like, well, you're rejecting me. So I'm going to do this anyway, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I, I felt like such a misfit in my, in my entire family. I was like always the black sheep, the problem child, like all of this. And I think I just needed my parents to like sit down and say, you, you are loved and you are protected. And I still, and I know to this day, like I, I want, I wanted my parents to tell me like how, excuse my French, how fucking proud I am of you. Yeah. When, when I was such a problem child, they didn't think I would do anything here. I am with two beautiful, brilliant women that I raised with a master's degree and a 500 hour certification and teaching in a nonprofit in the community and 10 years of education. Like I've done some amazing things. Never once did my parents tell me how proud I am of you. Mm -hmm. You know, I still need that today. And, you know, one thing that happened um, recently is my mother, I mentioned had dementia, you know, I went up there, my sister and I were, were cleaning out the house and getting her ready to go into the dementia facility. And you, my mom doesn't know who I am anymore. You know, she, she, Mm -hmm. she looks at me and she doesn't know who I am. And she, she says, Oh, I thought you were just my friend. And I said, no, I'm, I'm your daughter. And she was like, well, I'm really sorry about the past. And, you know, I was like weeping when she dropped me off at the airport, right? Like there was some part in her that knew she had to tell me something. I don't know where it came Mm. from. And I was like, that's all I needed. Like, I just needed that and that's it, you know? the I'm sorry, I'm sorry for whatever, whatever it was. And uh, I have that little glimmer, you know, that glimmer of like hope and love um, from my mother. I've yet to receive anything from my father, but you know, it, it is what it is. And you, you keep that, you keep the things that are really positive in your life. And like, if he doesn't want to be a part of it, like I have to let that go. And I have, you know, mm. so yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I've been uh, through that. Uh, my father's deceased now, but he had Lewy body dementia and it, it is yeah. so hard, but I'm so glad that she was able, even though, you know, I know she was in a state of dementia, but you needed to hear that. I mean, you weeped. Mm-hmm. And, and I also will say you are the third person we've interviewed that has talked about weeping when they were either listening to an audible on the Enneagram or reading the, an Enneagram book and got to their number and they just started weeping. And so that's, that's something I think a lot of people can relate to of, of this is, this is pretty profound. You also, what you said brought up for me, there's a Hawaiian prayer and I may say this wrong, but, but the Hawaiian prayer starts with these needed messages that we need to speak to one another. Um, and they are, I love you. I'm sorry please forgive me. Thank you. And I would add from your story, I'm proud of you. You needed to hear that. You needed to hear that. And, and Enneagram mates need to hear you will be protected. 
But um, in my experience, I think those are all things that we need to say to one another more often. I need to say those more often to people. We all do to, to just say, thank you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You know, I forgive you. And, and, you know, I'm proud of you. I mean, there's just, we need to say these things and I'm very proud of, of you. And I'm sorry you didn't get that message from your parents that you're going to hear it from us. We're proud of you, right, Kat? <laughs> I, so I'm sitting here, Michelle, and I'm just, and I'm going to get emotional. I'm in such an awe of your bravery. Mm. I am blown away that you are able to open up and share such painful experiences that frankly no child should go through and not only come out on the other side but be able to be a mother in the highest level of motherhood to your own children and mm -hmm. to be able to open up and trust and share life with a partner and you know talk about all of that so thank you for that mm -hmm. and thank you because I can tell you that a lot of people could really use that muchness and that boldness mm -hmm. so from me to you mm -hmm. I feel deeply emotional listening to your story and just wanted to tell you thank you because it's very brave to share so I have one last question for you from this conversation you know one word that comes to my mind is boldness and mm -hmm. I say it as something so beautiful and special and um just just something want to be around so can you share with our listeners what bold, being bold means to you? Yeah. And I want to, I want to say thank you. Like I, I feel so loved right now um, by both of you. And mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that you're doing this. Um, it is, it is powerful. So thank you both for, for sharing yourselves and your wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, so being bold, I think to me means like, standing apart from the crowd, you know? Um, I've mentioned this before, but I've always been a rebel. Like, not because I'm the eight, but like I stand true to, I've always done what people have told me not to do. And, um, and I, I've always done little things that have challenged myself um, so I could step out of my childhood cycles and patterns and, these thoughts of not being good enough and not doing enough. Um, and so being bold means challenging myself in these ways that I never thought would be possible. I never thought, you know, I was a high school dropout. I, I, I had a GPA of like a 1.2 dropped out my senior year and then graduated with honors the next year. And then I have a master's degree in education and, you know, I mean, it's just mm. all of those things that like prove to my childhood patterns, like you are somebody, you know, mm. and I've, I've done these things to prove to myself that I, in my mind, you know, was thinking and proving to my parents that I could do this, but really like 
telling myself that you are worth all of this. And then in return, I'm telling my, my own children that you too are strong and powerful and you can do anything that you put your mind to because you are powerful and you are bold. <laughs> um, so that's what bold means to me. I love it. And, you know, I think the biggest gift, I was listening to an interview and I don't remember what was it and who was talking, but they were talking about parenting. And the notion was, you know, if you ask a parent what you want for your children to be and almost everybody says, I just want them to be happy, which is very sensible and very, you know, normal thing to say. But um, then the interviewer said, you know, very rarely anybody says, I want my children to be able to be capable and independent and strong. And I think your gift of innate as a mother to your daughters, Mm. that you will teach them how to be capable how to be independent, how to be strong, and how to just get it done. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And one of the things we want to do today is to just um, highlight you in addition to all that you do in the nonprofit world. You're also a (laughs) yoga teacher and and I've been to your yoga class and it is a strong, empowering class. Like it goes right in hand with an Enneagram eight. So it's Kundalini yoga. So can you tell me a little bit about what drew you to Kundalini yoga, the class that you teach, um, maybe even the program that you went are going through. Um, I think you're going through a 500 hour training program right now about, about the Enneagram and Kundalini yoga. So anything you Mm -hmm. want to tell me about that, we just want to, to get the word out about you so people can maybe take your class virtually. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I teach, um, Kundalini every Thursday at yoga landing at four 30. We just shifted times for 75 minutes. We've extended it. So I'm super excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been, I've been teaching that for almost a month or a month and a half now. And, um, I just got certified for my 500 hour, um, specifically in this last 300 hour with, um, Kundalini, the Enneagram and, moon cycles. Um, and so it was a very powerful course out of Ithaca, New York called yoga farm. And they're amazing. If you've never checked them out, they have wonderful courses. And Christy, when you mentioned the, Oh, hope, hope, oponopono chant and prayer, I, that is something that we practice, um, once a week together and, um, yeah, it is, it is such a powerful prayer. Um, but yeah, this, the Kundalini, I, I've been drawn to Kundalini since um, Tara Shanti taught it at Yoga Landing um, in in 2019, and I've been I've been practicing it. And all through COVID, when I when I realized that you know Tara Shanti wasn't coming back to the studio, I was practicing at home. And when then I stopped, I realized the shift in my mental and emotional health. And I was like, "What's going on?" Well, I had quit doing kundalini and so I picked that back up and like when I pick that back when I say I picked it back up my my uh, just abundance like abundance and health abundance and wealth abundance in so many things in my life because my wife and I run a business as well on the side 
Um, mm. And that's booming. And like, I mean, everything is just abundant everywhere. So I, I, I think I've just opened myself up to this health um, and well-being of, of just like abundance, just, just sparkling all over. Um, but it also has helped me, I think, with my mental, um, my mental health more than anything has ever done. It's such a spiritual practice of chanting mm -hmm. and repetitious movements that mm -hmm. get us through these patterns or ways of being where we can really connect to our inner truth and the authentic being within. Um, you know, chanting is such a um, such an ancestral, like earthy way of connecting mm -hmm. back to our ancestors. And, and I, I think um, that's what you see and what you feel when you come to these practices, mm -hmm. you embody that and you can break through these negative thoughts and patterns and see a new way of being um, and showing up in the world. And it changes your life it changes your mm -hmm. life. <laughs> yeah. And I would say that when I took your class, it felt very energizing and empowering. Um, and so it's interesting because you were an Enneagram eight teaching the yoga class, but I also think Kundalini is a very sort of any Enneagram eight style of yoga. I mean, there's just mm -hmm. a lot of power and energy in it. Mm -hmm. And so I find that interesting. Um, but so if you want to take Michelle's class, if you live here in Chattanooga, um, you can go to yoga landing and sign up and do an in-person class. But if you don't live here locally, or even if you do, there is a virtual option. Yeah. And so just go to yoga landings website. If you're interested in taking her class, it's definitely worth it. Um, she's a wonderful teacher and person. And we are just so grateful for you, for your time today, um, for your energy, for your magnetic presence, and for your vulnerability. Um, the sign of a, an eight in a healthy space. You've been so open. And uh, we are very grateful. Thank you all so, so very much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing y'all soon. Thank you, yeah. Michelle. Thank Same you. here. Thank you, yeah. Thank Thank you. you Beth. All right, I'm going to end our recording. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This meditation is for Michelle, all Enneagram 8s, and anybody who's needing to work on letting go of power and control. So maybe let's start with arms out to a T, gaze lifted towards the ceiling, chin away from the chest, find your inhale, and then exhale, hands move to opposite shoulders, chin towards the chest, giving yourself a hug here. And then inhale back up, arms open up to a T. And then exhale, give yourself that nice hug. Inhale, opening up in the heart space. And exhale, rounding 
and finding a nice little hug. So almost like a cat-cow movement here in any seated position that feels good to you. We're starting with this pose of opening up in the heart space because that's something that the Enneagram 8 has to work on is opening up their heart to be vulnerable and trusting to others. So find a few more sets of breath of this moving meditation of arms out to a T and then giving yourself a hug. And then we'll bring prayer hands to our heart, soften the shoulders away from the ears, stay with the breath, and take a moment to acknowledge the gifts of the Enneagram 8. Their knowledge, confidence, strength, energy, passion, leadership, independence, and quest for justice. But as you breathe, saying to yourself, I'm aware that my need for power helped me feel a sense of control in the midst of difficult times. But I acknowledge my need to soften and release my hunger for power and control in order to grow and experience more abundance in this life. I also acknowledge that I sometimes have a wall up between myself and others. I desire to open my heart back up to others, to learn to trust and to be intentional to break down this wall. I know that a part of this trust involves practicing vulnerability. I also recognize my need to deepen my empathy for both myself and others. I am worthy of love and I set an intention to deepen my compassion for others. In my quest to be a champion of justice and truth, I can sometimes be so protective of others or of a cause that I bulldoze other people. I ask for an open heart that can soften to others. In this space of solitude, I recognize my need to move into my heart space and to fill my feelings. And right now, as I breathe, I tap into those feelings. What am I feeling? Take a moment to experience those feelings. I become my best self as I create space to be in my heart space. Take a deep breath in through the nose. Exhale out through the mouth. Returning to this moment. Know that the light in me sees and honors the light in each of you. Namaste, friends. <laughs>